0: I've seen that there has been a huge link between when someone has experienced sexual trauma in their lives, whether it was experienced when they were a child or a teen or an adult, and then how that can impact their desire for sex when they are older.
1: All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for your attention, for your time, What a gift it is to be able to share this information that for me is very important when it comes to health and for you all to receive it and share it with people that you love. This is how we start healing ourselves and healing each other. What a fantastic show we have today. I'm super excited. How many people are asking me about CMOS? Did you hear about CMOS? You ever, it ever come up on your TikTok, it ever come up on your Instagram, you ever hear from a friend? The thing is really trending, right? What the heck is CMOS? And should I be consuming it? A lot of people are DMing me going, hey, Dr. G, how do I shop for CMOS? Is it good for you? What's the best CMOS out there? Man, I'm gonna brush it up, clear it out, and let you know the lowdown on CMOS. Also, awesome, amazing guest. I got my own personal sex therapist that I work with in the past. Christine Lanzano, she's an awesome sex therapist, uh, family and marriage therapist, uh, sexual trauma therapist. Really what she's gonna do is come in here on the show and talk about how sexual trauma in childhood can really affect an adult. A lot of people, did you know that about one in six men and women have been sexually assaulted as children? And the effects are being shown later in life. So this is really important to know because if it's not you, it might be your partner who's suffering with something deep without you knowing. So really important to understand not only yourself, your loved ones, but really the world around you to see how people are manifesting with their own relationship to sex. Additionally, sex, the conversation with your partner is very difficult, one of the hardest conversations you can possibly have. Christine is gonna give us the lowdown on how to really start communicating authentically about what you want sexually. On top of that, what is it that you want sexually? She's gonna tell us how to get to the bottom of it and really connect with ourselves. So you might've heard me talking a lot about sex lately, and it's because we need to learn about it. We need to come back into contact with our sexual health. Sexual health is a huge driver for human health. So let's get into it. You know, we often underestimate the impact that laundry and cleaning products have on our overall health and well-being. we do. We don't think about how many of those traditional detergents and household cleaners can be loaded with harmful chemicals and toxins that wreak havoc on our body, especially if we have kids. That's why I'm always excited to bring on sponsors that I align with. Molly Suds is one of them. They're a brand that has been using an absolute game changer of a formula. Molly Suds is amazing. It's a line of laundry detergents and household cleaners that are made with safer, gentler ingredients. Again, especially for you and your children or future children, right? To me, something really important is integrity in a company. Molly Suds, super high integrity. I appreciate how powerful and effective these products are at getting your clothes clean, but it's also kinder to your health and to the environment. They have laundry detergents in particular that are free of all those nasty chemicals, right? These are ones that you might see right now in the back of your product. 1,4-dioxane formaldehyde synthetic dyes. You're probably going to see fragrances. That one's going to be really common. These are all causing allergies, disrupting your hormones, and actually are known cancer And actually some of them can increase your risk of cancer and think about it how often are you washing your clothes i'll say this the cleaning power of molly suds is impressive it outperforms a lot of the mainstream brands without all the harsh stuff and plus this is one of my favorite parts it's actually more cost effective per load which is a major bonus and because molly suds is cruelty free vegan and leaping bunny certified i can feel good about ethical and sustainable practices behind the brand so if you're ready to ditch those toxic cleaning products and make switch from something safer something more effective, I highly recommend checking out Molly Suds. You can pick it up at your next Target run. Or to make it even easier, just go to mollysuds.com slash DRG. Use the code DRG to get 20% off of your entire order. That is M-O-L-L-Y-S-S-U-D-S dot com slash DRG and use the code DRG. Let's talk about a game changer in the world of health and fitness. This is Lumen. It is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. Let me tell you a little bit about this game changer. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath. And on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fats or carbs and gives you tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, your workout, your sleep, and even stress management There They're stressed. And here's how it works. You simply breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you get real-time feedback on whether you're burning fats or carbohydrates. Lumen then provides you with personalized nutrition plans for the day based on your metabolic measurements. So why does metabolic health matter? Well, think of your metabolism as your body's engine. It's what turns food you eat into energy to keep you going throughout the day. And when your metabolism is optimized, you'll experience benefits of easier weight management, improved energy levels, better fitness results, and better sleep. That's where Lumen comes in. It helps improve your metabolic health with every single breath that you take, offering recommendations to enhance your pre and post-workout, fueling for peak performance and recovery. So if you want to take the next steps in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use the code DRG to get $100 off of Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E and use the code DRG at checkout for $100 off. What is the deal with CMOS? Is it a real deal? Is it healthy? Should I be consuming it? Okay, first off, let's clear something up. Sea plants are nothing new to humanity, therapeutically. We've been using it for a long time. Bladderwrack is a brown seaweed that is used in medicine, and a lot of people, especially in naturopathic and functional medicine, a lot of practitioners are using it for heart health, for cholesterol, and for thyroid. You ever go to a supermarket, look on the shelf, you know, move your eyes around, and then you see something called wakame, or dulse, or kombu, Now these are typically used culinarily, but they're also sea plants. And they're known to be high in minerals and antioxidant dense. And generally, they're supportive for your thyroid, for your skin, for your reproductive system, your brain, and just overall inflammation. That's why a lot of people really say you need to start getting in touch with sea vegetables, adding them to your salad, um, different cultures, utilize them a lot more than others. Now there's things we're gonna look for, but let's just get an idea. For generally speaking, sea vegetables can be really, really healthy. Now the most popular one you may have heard of is spirulina. This comes from blue-green algae. Now, spirulina is pretty nutrient-dense, right? It's, it's got B1, B2, B3, some copper, iron. It also contains a decent amount of magnesium. Potassium and manganese are there in small amounts, but it has a lot of nutrients that you really need, a lot of vitamins and minerals. And gram for gram, spirulina is one of the most nutritious foods that you can be eating. A tablespoon, seven grams of spirulina, provides a small amount of fat, about one gram, it has some omega-6, omega-3 fatty acids, it has some quality protein and considered, pound for pound, pretty good. It contains the essential amino acids that your body needs, and beneficially, it's an antioxidant. It's got a lot of antioxidants in there, so it can act as an anti-inflammatory, really protect your genes, your DNA. It can reduce blood pressure, blood sugar, can be helpful for even allergies. So you get the point, right? You heard of spirulina, a lot of people use it, but the point is there's a lot of therapeutic foods coming from the sea. And sea moss isn't really new to the trend either. There's evidence that it's been used up to 14,000 years ago in Chinese medicine. We're just repeating history, it ain't nothing new. Sea moss, clinically, is known as Chondrus crispus. And it's a type of purple slash red sea algae, or seaweed, depending on where it's found. And it's also known as Irish sea moss, which you may have heard of, or Jamaican purple sea moss in the Caribbean. So what do we know about sea moss from a new nutritional standpoint? It's ultra low calorie and has negligible sugar, carbs, and fats. For two tablespoons, you'll get a small amount of vitamin A, smaller amount of vitamin C, vitamin K, iron, not too much. You'll get some calcium, you'll get some magnesium on a higher amount than all, some potassium, uh, but really the star nutrient in sea moss is iodine. For two tablespoons, you're gonna get about 470 milligrams. Now iodine is an essential nutrient. Approximately 30% of the world's population is at risk for iodine deficiency. And usually if you have low amount of selenium, iron, or vitamin A, iodine is usually really low too. Now what are some symptoms of iodine deficiency? Swelling of the thyroid gland in the neck, right? You can have a visible lump there, and it's called a goiter, you may have heard of that. Weight gain, fatigue, some weakness, thinning hair, dry skin, you know, feeling really cold. You, know, you might find that your hands and your feet are colder than usual. You might find your heart rate is really slow. You might find cognitively you have some learning or memory difficulties as of late. Uh, women out there, heavy or irregular periods. There's some emerging evidence that low iodine is connected to fibrocystic breasts. In youth, you may find uh, in your children or children that you know, delayed development of permanent teeth, delayed puberty, slower mental development, uh, shorter than average height or limbs. And what are some diseases associated with low iodine? Infertility, autoimmune thyroid disease, thyroid cancer and other cancers, pregnancy-related high blood pressure, learning disabilities in children, especially with an iodine-deficient mother. So we know iodine is essential super needed, and it's super deficient. Kind of like magnesium, not as much as magnesium, but it's really deficient in the population. Now the organ, which really benefits, all of them do, but the one that really benefits the most from iodine is your thyroid. Iodine is needed to make T3 and T4. These are your thyroid hormones, right? So it's helpful for metabolism. It dictates how fast your heart beats, how deep you breathe, whether you're gaining or losing weight easily. Um, It can also help control your body temperature, cholesterol levels, your menstrual cycle, the growth and development just of a human body as a whole and the brain in a child. But remember, too much of a good thing, especially with iodine, can be bad. So in the case of iodine, you wanna make sure you're measuring it with your doctor or your endocrinologist and making sure it's at a good level. Again, a lot of us are gonna be deficient in it, so make sure you're communicating with your doctor, especially if it's really low for you. It's gonna be very, very important to bring it back up and replete it. What else do we know about seaweed or sea moss? Uh, According to an article called Bioactive Compounds and Properties of Seaweeds, a review. It's an open access library journal. Seaweeds are rich in several bioactive compounds such as polyphenols, sterols, alkaloids, flavonoids, tannins, proteins, and essential amino acids, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and many other nutrients. Now, why is this important? Because as a whole, these are gonna be really acting as an anti-inflammatory in the body. We know inflammation is driving so much of disease. Right, Anywhere where there's disease, there's a level of inflammation. This is going to act as an antioxidant, especially these therapeutic constituents that are found in it. Also, it's helping protect your cells. It's helping protect your mitochondria, right? the things that are really keeping you young, producing energy for you and keeping you young. That's going to be protected by seaweed or sea moss. So now that we know that sea moss is something that's iodine-rich, On the other side of it, there's a lot of unproven claims about sea moss. You go to a lot of websites, you see some TikToks, you see some Instagram reels. They're gonna say, sea moss, it's gonna enhance your hair. It's gonna clear your skin. It's got 92 of the 102 essential amino acids. If you're looking to have a kid, you need sea moss. If you have cancer, you need sea moss. Now, all these things have yet to be proven. They are working from, yeah, it's iodine rich and it's gonna help this, but we don't know exactly if sea moss does that. There's a lot of claims that are derived from seaweed too, right? So they're making claims about seaweed as a whole, but not specifically sea moss. Now, let's get to sea moss. When it comes to sea moss, the therapeutic yet controversial constituent is carrageenan. Now carrageenans are a family of natural, linear, sulfated polysaccharides, right? So this is the major constituent that is found, the molecule, the polysaccharides, that are present in seaweed. They're controversial because there's a lot of confusion as to whether or not they're healthy or they're harmful. Now, when it comes to the benefits of carrageenans, we see some in studies. It was shown in 2015, there was a study in Biomedical Central Complementary and Alternative Medicine Journal to have a prebiotic action in the gut. Now, this is good. You hear me talk about prebiotics. It actually is beneficial for feeding the microbes in the gut. Preliminary cellular research, for carrageenan is also showing that it has antioxidant activity, just as we'd expect, like all other seaweeds do. In 2003, there was a study in Asia Pacific Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They found carrageenan to result in actually reducing blood cholesterol and lipid levels in human subjects, right? There's a human study. So we're seeing some real data and benefit of carrageenan found in sea moss to be helpful at reducing blood pressure, right? Lipid levels. This is really good because a lot of us have metabolic dysfunction. 2021 study in the Journal of Functional Foods found that the constituent, the major therapeutic constituent within carrageenan uh, regulated glucolipid metabolism in obese mice. This is an animal study uh, when they're eating a high-fat diet. It's also found to help regulate the gut microbiota of these obese mice eating a high-fat diet and can reduce the inflammation due to its concentration in the food in these mice. It also has, uh, as we mentioned, a prebiotic effect. So what we're seeing is, in again, to summarize that, mice fed a high-fat diet were found to have benefit in their blood glucose metabolism and their gut. There's a 2004 randomized control study out of the Australian Multidisciplinary Respiratory Medicine Journal. Now, this is different. This is not oral, but it's intriguing. Administration of carrageenan nasal spray, nasal spray, in children and adults suffering from virus-confirmed common cold, reduced duration of disease, increased viral clearance, and reduced relapses of symptoms carrageenan nasal spray appeared to be an effective treatment for the common cold in children or adults. Now, if this translates to oral, we have yet to know, but it's interesting to see that carrageenan actually has some benefit as an antiviral. Now, anecdotally, I have found CMOS to be most beneficial for libido, actually, and I'm not the first person who said it. Now, I haven't found really any true studies about um, CMOS and libido, or really carrageenan and libido, But it's interesting because there's a notable difference when I don't use CMOS to when I do. And um, I remember I put my roommate on to CMOS and he had said the same thing pretty fast. So um, I would actually recommend, if you find that you do not have a sensitive gut, sensitive to carrageenan, right? A lot of you uh, will find out that carrageenan is in a lot of yogurts, is in a lot of milks, is in a lot of anything that has a viscous jelly-like texture to it will have some carrageenan for the for the most part. And I'll say a little bit more about it, but if you find that your gut is not sensitive to it, then go ahead and you can try CMOS. Now, what's the controversial side of it? Carrageenan, uh, over the years, has had a lot of controversy as well. There's a lot of people that say that the increase in irritable bowel disease is, seems to be consistent with the increase in processed foods, which we know that, but the processed foods that contain gelling agents like carrageenan. So there's a lot of claims that carrageenan is causing a lot of gut inflammation, which is interesting because there's some studies that are saying that it does the reverse and it feeds your gut biome and reduces inflammation, right? So you can see, it's not just you who can be confused. A lot of the times studies say different things. So even the experts are confused. And because carrageenan is such a popular binder or thickening agent or stabilizer in a lot of medications, foods, you also find them in toothpaste. Uh, A lot of us are being exposed to it. Now, my take is this. Is that carrageenan uh, is extracted and utilizes a thickening agent in a lot of foods where it's not supposed to be, right? So we have to think back to how nature intended. It's sort of like when you think of vitamin C that's extracted from an orange or a lime or a a pomegranate or a kuduku plum. When you take the vitamin C and put it into a capsule or put it into a a powder that's just vitamin C isolate, we tend to want to overthink or outsmart nature. And we can't take the pharmaceutical approach to food and supplementation because we can't outsmart nature. I say that because one thing that comes to mind is us trying to outsmart nature. When we think of white willow bark, white willow bark has salicin. And salicin is actually salicylic acid, the thing that is used in aspirin. And we take that out as a pain reliever and isolate it and put it into Tylenol or aspirin. And we utilize it and it's a pain reliever, but it also causes micro cuts in our gut, micro inflammation in our gut. When we understand that white willow bark has salicin, right? so it has the therapeutic component, But interestingly enough, nature is so smart to protect us. And it does so because in white willow bark, you'll also find constituents that protect the gut. It's as if nature knows this ingredient can inflame the gut in isolation, so it's created with other constituents that protect you. The same goes for something like sea moss. When you have carrageenan in there, carrageenan, and we isolate it and we utilize it in toothpaste or almond milks or different jellies, the risk for it causing gut issues or inflammation for us is much higher versus utilizing it how it's found in nature. That's always my take for things. So think about the holism, the intelligence, the synergy of the way we find it in nature versus in extraction. So with that said, actually I'm a fan of sea moss. I would shop for sea moss and be very careful how you shop for it you want to test for heavy metals, right, because it's in the ocean, automatically you want the company to be testing for heavy metals. You absolutely want to be, to be testing for microbes, it's highly variable from company to company. You always want to avoid raw sea moss unless you're cooking it. Um, if you buy raw sea moss, make sure it's it, it should be thin, not really thick, and it should be dry, not various color shades. Um, But really, if you're going for a company for CMOS, if it's wild crafted, make sure that it's heavy metal tested, microbe tested, it's not raw, and just protecting yourself from it. Because always when something is trendy, there's a lot of people coming into the game and not doing things with integrity and looking to turn a quick buck. So make sure if you are taking CMOS, which I actually am a fan of, uh, make sure you're doing it and taking care of yourself and getting a company with high integrity. I'll look into some more maybe do a review in the near future, but for now, CMOS is an approved product. Check it out, see how it works for you, see if it helps. Thank you, we are ready to get to this guest spot. You know I love talking about sex, and uh, I love learning about it, and I love having uh, real good conversations and opening the space. I want all of you to be so comfortable with your sex and sexuality and conversations about sex that you are authentically your high sexual self in your sexual power, always and we're doing it. So take a moment, let's take a nice breath before we get into this conversation. I'm gonna say a few words from our wonderful sponsors and then we're gonna jump right into it. Look, staying hydrated is the key to feeling your best. It is a ten- It was my first post ever on Instagram about hydration and water. But, you know, all the concerns about tap water and quality of tap water. I, put, I did a lot of shows on it talking about you can even find what is the quality of your tap water. It's hard to know if what you're drinking is truly clean. And for me, it's so important, so, so important. This is one of the first interventions I tell people, the first investments. Get yourself a good quality water filter, the most pure water without worrying about those contaminants. That's why I'm super excited to share with you AquaTrue. If you followed me i've been talking about aqua since 2018 i've had it since 2018 and i'm so happy they're a sponsor because it's something that i really have been using for the long term Aquatru purifiers they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process meaning they tackle all those harmful contaminants right head on and what's the best part there's no installation no plumbing required you plug it in and you're good to go almost half of the u.s tap water contains pifas these are forever chemicals polyfluorinated chemicals that we get from the water usually a byproduct of the industry that goes into the clouds it rains and it gets all over our water system it is one of the biggest concerns in environmental medicine right now aquachoo certified to remove these contaminants and many more to give you that peace of mind plus their range of purifiers fits every single home from countertop options to under sink models And don't forget they also have a Wi-Fi connected purifier and mineral boost option, check that one out. But really one of the main reasons I love AquaChew is because not only does it remove all of those really, really concerning chemicals, the ones that I talk about so much on the show, the ones that were found throughout so many water systems across the United States that cause so many diseases, including cancer, we have something that removes that it's affordable and long lasting lasting up to six months to two years these filters and think about it one set of filters makes the equivalent of 4500 bottles of water that's less than three cents of a bottle so if you're going out to the supermarket and buying those water bottles by the dozen Or by the 30-pack, not only are you putting a burden to the environment with the plastic, you're putting a burden to your body with the plastic, and it's not even quality water. So since switching to AquaTrue, it's been the best of the best. Every one of my family has one. All my friends have one. And the best part is AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can try it risk-free. And for you, the Heal Thyself listener, you get 20% off of any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code DRG at checkout. So if you're ready to upgrade your water game and enjoy pure, clean water straight from the tap, don't wait, go to aquatrue.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. You know, when it comes to overall health, the little daily habits can make a huge difference. Take flossing, for example. Seems like such a minor thing, right? But taking good care of your teeth and gums does way more than just prevent cavities and bad breath. Emerging research shows that it can actually support whole body health, and may even prevent cognitive decline as you age. That's wild, right? That's why I'm really excited to tell you about this awesome company called Slate and their game-changing 3-in-1 electric flosser. It's the only product out there that flosses your teeth, massages your gums, and even scrapes your tongue to remove bacteria to promote fresher breath. I've been using the Slate flosser for about a month now, and I'm hooked. Unlike regular floss picks that you have to jam into your mouth, This electric flosser does all the work for you with 12,000 sonic vibrations per minute, really cleaning out them gums. The innovative gum sweeps give your gums a gentle massage to increase circulation too. And let's not forget the built-in tongue scraper to help zap bad breath at the source. So to start one of the easiest and healthiest daily habits with the Slate Electric Flosser, Go to slateflosser.com and use the code DRG to get 10% off of your very own Flosser. That's 10% off of your easy-to-use Slate Electric Flosser at slateflosser.com slash DRG, S-L-A-T-E-F-L-O-S-S-E-R.com, and the code is DRG. All right, everyone, today's special guest, this is someone who I have had a close relationship with as far as having a connection on really helping guide me through sex, sexuality, understanding the really giant expanse of what sex is and how we can integrate it in our lives and with our partner. Uh, Christine Lozano, she is a sex therapist, sex addiction therapist, uh, licensed family and marriage therapist. I mean, she's on all spectrums about really, really connecting to yourself sexually and your partner. So uh, without further ado, Christine, thanks for coming on the show. I have a lot of questions to ask you and I'm so excited to hear your expertise.
0: Yes, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so look, look, we were talking off air about really the things that a lot of people are suffering with or the things you really want to talk about. And one of the things that really came up was understanding about sexual trauma. So from the get-go, can past sexual trauma cause low sexual drive right now as adults?
0: Yes, I would say absolutely. Whether there is a a correlation, a causation, I would say that I, at least in my work with clients, I've seen that there has been a huge link between when someone has experienced sexual trauma in their lives, whether it was experienced when they were a child or a teen or an adult, and then how that can impact their desire for sex when they are older.
1: Hmm. And, and you say sexual trauma and automatically I think to something like a rape when, when someone's young, um, mm, mm-hmm. but, but, but uh, is there different uh, classifications or is there different, does it fall under a different umbrella? What does sexual trauma look like?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question because that, that can look many different ways. Rape, rape is definitely one of them. One can be a sexual assault. So it can be a one-time experience that someone has with someone they do or do not know there can be a reoccurring sexual trauma that's happening again with someone that someone does or does not know. So it might be a relative. It might be someone that someone is in a relationship with sexual trauma and rape can happen when you're in a partnership with someone. I think that's a big piece too, that sometimes people may not recognize is that sexual trauma can happen with someone you like, know, and trust. And it can also happen with a stranger and that there is a, a huge boundary crossing that happens when there's a sexual trauma that occurs or a sexual assault.
1: So this piques my interest then, because me yeah. generally, generally thinking, I would think that it's someone you don't know, right? Like a stranger in the street, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so At so late at night in an alleyway, but you bringing up the, uh, the perspective that, yeah, it can be with someone you actually date for a year or two years, three years. Mm-hmm. But, but, but how does that look like in a relationship? Because, it might be clouded that the man or the woman says, no, you know, it was just part of like a dysfunctional sexual uh, relationship that we had, but we loved each other and we just broke up. Is mm, it, what, mm-hmm. what, is the, what is the truth behind that? What does it look like in the relationship?
0: Yeah, so in the relationship, when I guess one clear example that can be helpful is when we think about date, date rape, whether that's with someone that you are in actively dating or if we think about marital rape. So someone that you're actually in a potentially a long-term partnership with. And with that, the the definition of rape is that there only needs to be two things involved. Penetration, and that could be with a sex toy, that could be with a finger, that could be with a penis, and non-consent. Those are the only two things that need to happen for something to be classified as rape. So if someone is engaging in some sort of sexual activity with someone and there is not clear consent... And consent is a big piece too, because sometimes what looks like or sounds like consent actually isn't consent. So that's a whole that's a whole another thing. But if there is, if someone fingers someone but they didn't actually consent to it, that's considered rape. Mm. And I think that I think a lot of people potentially might be surprised to hear that because sometimes when someone thinks about rape, if we're using that as an example as a sexual trauma, they might envision that there has to be some sort of fight happening. Or someone has to be screaming no, um, but that—that's sometimes that, that might be what rape looks like. But oftentimes it's—it's it's not. It can be much more um, either like insidious or subtle or confusing, and then someone not know that that was considered rape, and then them experiencing consequences, whether it's emotional consequences or physical or mental from that experience. But thinking like, oh, but that, you know, that that wasn't that "quote unquote" that bad
1: you thinking about that changes the perspective or at least broadens it for me. Um, and you use the word confusing. I remember speaking to, uh, this girlfriend of mine and we were, we were talking and she was talking about her past and this encounter with this guy. And she was confused as to whether that was rape. And, Mm. And I was like, I was like, that's rape. You know, like yeah. there was no there was no consent. And you were you were hardly even you weren't even conscious. Like you were just in and out. And she's like, no, yeah. but we were friends and like we were we we talked the next day. I was like, that's rape, you know, like and yeah. there was a there's a confusion of element of like, whoa, because he was he didn't force himself upon me. Yes. But the consent thing, like you said, there was no consent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that piece up to the the forcefulness, because that is a a misconception that I think a lot of people might think too—that for something to be considered rape, there has to be some sort of forcefulness—and that it that is not the case.
1: So, so here we have uh, a victim of sexual assault, or even not even knowing it's sexual assault—that something happened yeah. in a relationship when they were in high school or early college or something. What happens in the body? What happens in the psyche throughout mm. the years? And how does it begin to? change their relationship with um, the opposite sex or just sex in general? What starts mm-hmm. happening and how do, we, how do we start seeing the manifestations?
0: Yeah. So the manifestation of that can happen fairly quickly or that can happen over a long period of time. But as you probably know, just from like the, the work that you're interested in, that, that how, mu- how much trauma is stored in the body and trauma knows no time. Mm. If it, someone is not addressing that trauma, especially So what that can look like for someone if they have experienced a sexual trauma, and let's continue this example of rape, is that for them, not only, and again, it's not a one-size-fits-all, so some people may not experience this, but I'll just speak into like common experiences that someone might have, is that they may shut down sexually. And that doesn't necessarily mean only to partnered sex, but including to themselves, So maybe if they were masturbating before, maybe they don't masturbate as much or not at all. Um, Things that they used to find sexually pleasurable could be triggering for them, especially if what they experienced during the sexual trauma, if they're doing that to themselves, like let's say they're masturbating, it's, it's using a certain toy that's reminiscent of the trauma or they're with a new partner and their partner touches them or kisses them in a certain way that's reminiscent of the trauma, like how triggering that can be. And sometimes someone might be pretty aware of that. Like they may be like, Oh, that's reminiscent of that. That That's why I'm having this experience, this somatic experience of like heart racing or like, I need to get the fuck out of here, palms sweaty, like shutting down. But sometimes people just, they don't, they're not aware of how come they're having that experience because in part, they might be like, oh, that that experience, the traumatic experience I had was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So they might not link it because I like, go, oh, it was so long ago. So this experience I'm having now, is it, independent of that. This is something else. But oftentimes, that's a big contributing factor as to what's happening to them in that, in that moment and what's happening in their body.
1: And how many people listening and viewing can actually relate to that where they were like, I remember this experience where... I shut down. I closed up yeah. and, it, and, it, and it wasn't the guy. He was so sweet or it wasn't the female. She was so sweet. It was something that happened where the body began to contract in memory, right? And all, all we need is like, mm-hmm. kind of like a trigger, right? It can be a scent. It could be a noise. It could be a, a certain kiss wherever it is in the body, something, yeah. right? That starts triggering that process. So, and you're saying that process looks like just shutting down sexually where where they, their body feels unsafe.
0: Yes, the body feels unsafe, and that can and the body always knows. So even if someone's mind might be saying, "Oh, but some of the examples you're saying, like this person is safe. I really care about this person. I trust this person, Their mind might be saying that, but their body could be shutting down and or experiencing anxiety. And that can look several different ways, whether it is um, let's say, for someone who who identifies as a woman, they might experience vaginal pain during some sort of penetration with a sex toy, finger, or penis, they might experience vaginal pain. Um, Someone else might experience difficulties either keeping or maintaining their erection. Their trigger might look like that, that their anxiety then manifests in that way. This right now doesn't feel safe, so my body will shut down in order to protect me so that I can't move forward with this sexual experience in the way that I'm, you know, intellectually I'm wanting to. And then the body might shut down with like a, an erection issue, for example.
1: And, and it can be so
0: confusing because the mind could be like, this person's hot, I want to do this, let's <laughs> go. And your body is shutting down. And that's called non-concordance. When the mind and the, the body, it's not in alignment in that sexual
1: experience. And, and the memory, like you said, the body knows no time. So it's, it yeah. can be 20 years later and it's like it happened yesterday, right? Yes
0: yeah and I sometimes i what I describe to to clients is that in a moment like that you jump back into time you time machine you you work back into time because it feels so real the experience the somatic experience of that trigger what you're experiencing in the body it feels so real because it is real you're having a, a very visceral response and for some people it's automatic they could just be like you know they flinch or it can be very automatic.
1: Now now here's the interesting thing that you have brought up. Yeah. It can manifest as the opposite. It can be hypersexuality? Yes.
0: Yeah. For some people when it when it manifests that that way, that maybe they then struggle with compulsive sexual behavior or they become hypersexual. Sometimes some things that contribute to that in terms of the like how the trauma can then lead someone down that path um a few different things but i would say the most common one that i see when i work with clients would be that part of the compulsivity that they're experiencing is a way of trying to cope with their trauma and then it it ends up manifesting in that way mm. so they're trying to manage their experience by coping in some way and that might be one way in which they cope is they cope in a way that's sexual cuz for a lot of people sex can be relieving, whether it's through masturbation or partnered sex, it can there is a release that can happen for someone. And then they can, you know, it can shift what their nervous system is doing. So for some people to end up being that they they go into hypersexuality.
1: Now in in your experience, have you found a uh distinction between uh genders and if if men become more hypersexual or women become more hypersexual or vice versa, or does it just you know, actually pan out equally?
0: I would say in my experience, I do work with more men in which they they struggle with the compulsivity around sex. But I, I think part of that is for many women, there can be a lot more shame. Not that there's not shame for men if they are experiencing that and then they're trying to get support around it. but But for women, at least... From my experience there, it can be a lot more shame to identify with the fact that they are struggling with compulsive sexual behavior because for them there is more slut shaming right. around it. So there could be more shame and then it can decrease the likelihood of them getting support for it. Mm-hmm. So it can be seemingly like, oh yeah, maybe more men struggle with this, but it, it might just be because in this scenario, like more men are seeking support
1: for it. And that makes sense. Um when when it, and and I guess that turns into the sexual addiction part then is a mm-hmm. lot of is a lot of sexual addiction and and this compulsivity and and hypersexual behavior. It, would you say that that's rooted in in sexual trauma or abuse, or could it be other things?
0: It can be other things. Um oftentimes, I, I would say, of the clients I work with who do struggle with compulsive sexual behavior, there has been trauma that they've experienced, but it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual trauma. It could Mm -hmm. have been physical abuse. It could have been neglect. it It could be different forms of trauma that doesn't have to be sexual. But with everyone that I work with, there has been some sort of profound trauma that has happened in their lives. And then part of how that then manifests of them coping with that has been compulsive sexual behavior. And that compulsive sexual behavior can look many ways for people too.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what I was gonna ask. What is compulsive sexual behavior? Is, it, is, it, is there um, a definition of sleeping with one new partner every week, every month? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. What, is it, what does it look like for people? So the viewers and listeners can go, wait a minute, I know someone like that. Or, oh, wait, yeah. I, I had that, or I have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I I kind of, I guess like a a simplified definition of that would be like out of control sexual behavior in which someone is attempting to cease or decrease that behavior, but they continue to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So there is an out of control element around it and they are experiencing consequences and are having a lot of difficulty stopping. And with, with that, if you think about different forms of compulsivity or different forms of addiction that it's not as clear cut to say like let's do with alcohol someone's like oh if you drink this kind of alcohol it means you're an alcoholic but if you drink this kind it means you're you're good or if you have five drinks you're good but if you have eight drinks you're an alcoholic like there's not it's it doesn't work that way because it's not that clear cut but it's more so like someone's relationship to that substance, whether it's alcohol, in this case, we're talking about with sex, so that Mm -hmm. there's an out-of-control element. Someone's continuously trying to stop the behavior despite the consequences, but they continue doing it anyway.
1: And it makes sense. And and in full transparency, we work together. And I spoke about, after my mom passing away, my struggles with sex. And I jumped into the compulsivity for so long that I couldn't get out of it. And it was just how I handled that pain and anxiety and even depression all of those emotions that wanted to be not seen and I hyped them mm-hmm. under the rug came out as this uncontrollable partner to- partner sexual behavior and I know I know personally what it feels like to be there it is a tornado it is a whirlwind that yeah. offers temporary relief right? And it's, it's sort of like it is the addiction element, right? I can imagine how an alcoholic drink when you're an alcoholic offers temporary relief and then starts destroying the family over, over time. Um, so I have a lot of empathy for people who are viewing or listening who go, who can identify with this or who have a history of this or who know someone with this because um, it can be very, very difficult. How, how, how difficult can it be for people who come to see you? What do what the struggles really, really look like? How, how deep does it get for some folks?
0: It can get very deep for people. Um, when you think about the consequences, for a lot of people, there could be legal consequences. So, if they're doing things that are illegal and then they get caught, mm-hmm. whether it's someone discovers it or they decide to, to share that they've been doing something illegal, so some people can end up going to jail for their compulsive sexual behavior, depending on how it manifests. Um, for some people, there can be re- absolutely relationship, relational. Concerns um, if they are in a partnership or have different partners, that causes a lot of a lot of conflict for people. There could be consequences to someone's career depending on how their behaviors manifest. Um, so I would say the oh and financial financial for a lot of people. Um, and again, it's not a one size fits all because someone someone's compulsive sexual behavior can be compulsively watching porn and they might be watching porn in which they're not paying for it. So maybe their financial consequence in that regard might look different than someone else who is paying for sex, going to strip clubs and compulsively paying for sex or compulsively paying for, um, uh, someone at a, a massage parlor. So that, yeah, those different consequences, usually like legal, relational, career, financial, and then, especially if someone has children, um, that that adds a whole nother mix to things. Depending on the impact it's having on, on the children if it gets discovered, and then I, I've worked with people in which their kids find out about it, and that's that's a, a whole nother process to, to manage when the kids learn about about this. And depending on the amount of detail that they learn about it, it can be very painful for everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: So many layers, and yeah, and that's the part. That's the part of the addiction for me. It was very hard to hold a relationship. It was hard mm. to be in a relationship mm-hmm. because I was in no place to be in a relationship. There needed to be so much healing, and there was a lot of infidelity because of that. Mm. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it was it was the impulse that was overcoming the connection and love for the person, or really just the, the, the true respect that you would have for someone in a relationship without that. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I understand that struggle, but what happens then? What is it in, in your studies and in your work? Is it a, is it a trauma that causes a really profound impact on the brain and the brain chemistry? Is it, is it, um, is it a deep psychological uh, adaptive mechanism that happens? Mm, um, mm-hmm. is, it, is there a genetic component? What is what is happening in the bodies of folks who are more predisposed to experiencing um, se- sexual compulsivity or addiction?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, a mix of all of the above. When you think about nature versus nurture and epigenetics and when, he, when people think it, how much addiction runs in the family and they think about the multi-generational trauma, for some people, they might say, oh, there's a genetic component to that. And they can be hard to tease apart like how much of it was our genetic component versus the environment in one grew up in and that being passed down from generation to generation. So there are people in which they they can find themselves to be more predisposed to struggling with any form of addiction, and then it happens to manifest in in this example with compulsive sexual behavior. Um, So I would say that with everyone I've worked with, I I can't think of anyone that comes to my mind, because I also work with partners Mm -hmm. of people that struggle with the compulsive sexual behavior. But if I'm thinking about the person with with the sex addiction, I, I also can't think of anyone that's come to my mind in which Mm-hmm. They did not have someone in their family who also struggled with an addiction or several addictions, whether it was a parent, whether it was a grandparent, whether it was a sibling. Usually it's like kind of a combination of those. Um, but I haven't worked with someone which they're like, I- I'm the only one that I know in my family history that has struggled with some sort of addiction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's something you'd expect, right? Like you hear alcohol addiction too, right? Mm-hmm. All forms of addiction. There, there's a component in the family where someone says at some point my uncle had this, or yeah, my yeah. aunt struggled with this, or, or or my dad or my mom. So um, I guess it's sort of like all disease. It's really the predisposition that loads the gun, mm-hmm. right? And then the environment, the experiences, the trauma that really starts yeah. firing it off, and then you very compounding. The, yeah, it starts compounding. So we how how. How many folks out there do do, do you know and, and can you maybe just roughly estimate how many folks have undergone a sexual trauma?
0: The stats sometimes change. Um, but i I think off the top of my head, and this may or may not be updated, but i it's I think it's one in four women, one in six men.
1: Wow, yeah, that's so common.
0: it is very common and and that's also you know it's hard to account for. Those are the people that reported. And going back to something you and I were discussing earlier when we were discussing rape and sometimes viewing like, oh, sometimes you imagine that's someone that you don't know. Um, When it's someone that you do know, whether it's a friend, a relative, your partner, usually that goes Mm underreported because it's someone that you know. And sometimes there are many layers as to why someone might not share that when it's someone that they know, why they might not share it, why they might not report it, why it might not go to court when it's someone that they
1: know. Mm, so it's, it's likely that those statistics are overestimated. It's probably more.
0: Yeah, that's what I imagine. Mm-hmm. That's what I imagine. And, and, and there's also such a long period of time in which people sit with the experiences that they had before they actually share it. So usually it's not, it happens and they share it the next day. Sometimes it's decades that they're sitting on it, you know, either for themselves, minimizing the impact of it and, or the level of shame around that experience or, you know, trying to stuff it down. There's a lot of different reasons why someone doesn't share that until later in their lives. Um, But usually when they, if, and when they do share it, usually it is due to them coming to the realization that this is having an impact on me mm. in some way, shape, or
1: form. Mm. And, and, and they see it down the line in the future, and, and especially with partners, probably. Yeah. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's so interesting, that statistic, because I'm thinking to myself, it's like, if I go to the movies and I'm in the movie theater, there's multiple men and multiple women who have had sexual abuse in that theater with me, right? Mm-hmm. If, it's a full, if it's a full theater, right? The first night, the premiere, Yeah, I'm thinking about it. It's like those are pretty incredible stats. That you know, one in four women. Let's say, let's say, let's say it goes up. Let's say because it's fluctuating, like you said. Yeah, it's still still crazy. Let's say it's one in six women. That's still a lot of women in this world who have had sexual abuse, sexual trauma. Would would you say that more sexual um, traumas are coming from people that they know or people that they don't know? people that they know. Wow. Yeah.
0: I would say it's more usually, of course not all the time, but usually it's people, people that they know. Um, And that, that adds to the layer of trauma because it's not only traumatic if it's someone that, that you don't know or someone that you met at a bar, but then if it's someone that you have learned to trust someone that you're in a partnership with, like that bigger mind fuck because not only does it erode and destroy and shatter the trust in that person of course then there is a relational betrayal rather yeah. than just a betrayal from you know this person that i have i have no connection with
1: especially if you betray- see that betrayal person. trauma yeah, yeah if you're seeing that person every day how often is it is it okay so say in the context of people we know is it more like this is my boyfriend this is my girlfriend or is this is a family member or extended family member? Is it more familial or not familiar? would you say? Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you, that is on your shelf or in your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. dot com slash drg you're going to get 50 off plus all those freebies i would say in
0: my experience in my experience it would be more someone in their family rather than their partner um i i definitely have had and i I definitely have had uh clients in which it's happening in their partnership or has happened in former partnerships um that yeah it unfortunately happens
1: And I can imagine yeah. what, uh, if it is in the family or let's say the immediate family, how much of a burden, or let's say it's a stepfather or stepmother, how much of a burden that is every single day waking up, being in the same household, being in the same kitchen, being in the same living room, dining room, right? And and what the body, the body's already confused and protecting itself every single day. I feel so yeah. much in my heart for young children or adolescents who are living in a place that they don't feel safe every day all day yeah. and their only safety is when they're not home that's, mm-hmm. that's that's heartbreaking for me that a child is living like that
0: yeah the the chronic state of hypervigilance the chronic state of fight flight freeze mm-hmm. and yeah like what is that doing to someone's health
1: exactly in, in, the in
0: all different ways yeah
1: so, so in relationships now, let's say let's say that child or adolescent. Let's let's work with that example. Is now yeah. in a in a loving partnership. They found their their match. They say, I want to marry this person. I live with this person. We love each other. I can imagine that actually there are some things that come up, some yeah. roadblocks. How do people viewing, listening, who are identifying with this or know someone who can they can send this to and identify with? how do they start working towards this? What, what is it? Is it communication? Is it space? Is it taking it slow? Is it, is it obviously seeing someone to talk through things? What are some tools that we can start looking for?
0: Yeah, I think one one of the main things that comes to mind is someone getting to know their own body and the relationship to their body and the relationship to themselves sexually very well. Because that will set the tone and the foundation of, what they welcome into their lives sexually, how they learn what they like, what they don't like, anything in between is learning that with yourself. And sometimes it can get tricky for many reasons, but one thing I also like to be mindful of is for some people, they practice a certain religion in which masturbation is off the table. So maybe it's a, it's either fine tuning that it's not masturbation, it's like self-exploration of body. That may or may not involve the genitals, but is really getting in tune to learning one's own, like giving yourself touch and receiving that touch and being able to track what is happening in my body when I'm doing this. Because if someone has a lot of difficulty or anxiety or shame being able to self explore their own body, um, it will limit the way in which they can enjoy that experience with a partner or with partners. So that that would be a huge piece.
1: Mm, From the get-go, just really start getting in touch with your body, go slow, go fast, whatever it is, but start really, like you said, tracking, if I understand correctly, different parts of your body and go, I'm comfortable here. This feels actually really nice. Uh Mm Uh-oh, this actually feels a little... And, And you're saying people are are being able to identify these things through self? Because sometimes I would think if someone else is doing it, then you start really manifesting and you only feel comfortable with yourself. But you're saying through self-exploration, you can really start tracking it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I would say for, there are many clients I've worked with in which self-exploration of their own body can be very triggering because wow. of the level of trauma that they've experienced. So t- touching certain parts of their own body. So no one's no one is present for this. It's them with themselves, that them touching certain parts of their body is highly triggering. A lot of people may not think about how common that can be.
1: And, and you think about it, it's there's the layers, right? It's, okay, yeah. I was tra- I had sexual trauma, and now I'm exploring myself. This might be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, but also my religion, my family, my school, my mentors had all say, I can't masturbate because this is evil or mm-hmm. not acceptable. So then, uh, you know, that's another barrier to get through. Like, is this okay for me to even do psychologically?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there, there can be such a cognitive dissonance for in someone when they're wanting to be sex positive, they're wanting to discover or rediscover or reclaim their sexual health. And then if they have other, either people, community, religion, like other things in their life that are um, saying otherwise, or don't, don't do it that way, do it this way. It can just add to the confusion of like, okay, how, how do I do this? And in a way that feels that it's aligned with the different values I have, and that it's congruent with how I want to show up in the world without experiencing this massive level of shame around it.
1: Mm. So. So those folks who are doing the self-exploration exercise, getting in touch with their body, touching different parts of their body, what happens when they reach a part of their body where their heart starts beating? They start sweating. They start mm-hmm. becoming short of breath. What happens then?
0: Yeah, and that's why it can be really helpful that someone is doing this on their own first because they have control around pausing and not, you know, for example, feeling guilty about it because they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings by pausing a certain moment like they they get to say like oh i'm noticing that i'm about to like have a panic attack for example or i'm noticing i'm about to burst into tears or like they're noticing they're about to have a response that they can pause there and let's say they're touching a certain part of their body they can either keep their hand there and regulate their emotions through that rather than like oh like they they might get scared in which it's a automatic response that they move their hand quickly away from that part of their body. But it is really finding a balance of gently challenging oneself and then also know knowing where your edge is. Because someone will, I wouldn't also want someone to inadvertently re-traumatize themselves when they're just like, oh, I'm just going to push through this. And they're doing certain exercises or have partnered sex in which they are like, oh, let me just push through this. I'm going to push this through this trauma. They can, they can actually
1: re-traumatize themselves depending on how they're going about that. Interesting. So be gentle with yourself. And if you're called to move your hand and go, I can't take this right now, then do that and honor it. But if you feel called to really maybe just start facing it a little bit, feel those mm-hmm. emotions, keep your hand in the spot. You're saying, start regulating, maybe breathing, maybe calming down. Maybe um, when I do emotional release, I do some exercises where I actually say, the spot that you're in, bring your awareness to right under that spot. And, mm-hmm. and imagine that you're there, that you can see up and see my hand or your hand. If you're It's obviously going to be your hand and see yeah. your hand and then really start visualizing your hand. So you can really bring yourself into that space and bring some, bring some calmness, some, some uh, nervous system, relaxation around it. And I love this exercise because it can be so powerful mm-hmm. at, at, reconnecting you to your own body, but also connecting you to the parts of your body that are, oh, whoa, this does not feel safe. And it's sometimes difficult, like you said, with a partner when they're touching you there and you don't want to say anything. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to stop the experience. You don't want to say, you don't want to be the one to say, I actually feel like crying right now or like I can't breathe. Um, So really start with yourself. You're saying that this is part of the heal yourself philosophy. Do it yourself. Work with yourself, and then really start connecting to that part of you. How um, successful is this sort of practice with your clients?
0: I would say it, it, it is very beneficial for people. Um, it is very beneficial, and it is a, a a go at your own pace. While I'm also gently nudging someone, because you know, understandably, there can also be a lot of fear, reluctance. Avoidance in doing some of these things, so it really is uh, a a slow, gentle process. Um, because even if I if I even think steps before someone is, you know, touching their own body, for some people they can feel triggered visualizing touching their own body. So sometimes it's going, it's starting with that. What is coming up for you when you're visualizing? touching different parts of your body. For some people, they can have a lot of anxiety visualizing and they're not touching their body yet. So it's it really is um, tailored to what someone is struggling with because for someone that, you know, visualizing might not be an issue. They're like, I, I can go straight to touching. But for someone else that, that can cause massive anxiety.
1: I can see how it can be difficult for a man who mm, uh, mm-hmm. has been only taught to uh, pleasure themselves Straight genital focus,
0: yeah,
1: right. Where yeah. Um, female masturbation tends to be a little bit more sensual and, and full body in many ways. So, mm-hmm. how much resistance a man can have and saying, "Wait, what do you mean? I'm going to touch my te- my chest, my shoulder, my neck? Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't know about that." You know what I mean? So, yeah, I can see that there even is an obstacle in the masculinity way, yeah. being like, "I'm uncomfortable with this. This may be too sensual, too feminine." Um, mm, yeah. But really the challenge is out there for any men listening or viewing to connect with your body, even if you don't think there's a sexual trauma, I think this exercise is just powerful for every single person. Yes. Yeah.
0: I, I very much so agree with that. There's actually, um, sensate focus is a name of an exercise that I have clients do. Um, sometimes when you think about sensate focus, uh, That The the idea of that exercise, I I guide clients through this. Usually it's when they're in a partnership or have a partner, but I definitely have had clients do it individually on their own, is being able to learn giving and receiving touch in a way that is not goal-oriented, not orgasm-oriented. It is learning to give and receive touch so you can learn what is pleasurable. It is about exploration it is about learning that pleasure comes in all forms, whether or not it's sexual in nature. So it's like the physical intimacy, the physical touch around that. And there's a very like guided way in which I, I have people do that because different things can come up for people in which they get, they get triggered, or we want to slow down in this part of the exercise before we move forward. Like there's a lot of that to it, but uh, I think it is it is helpful for for everyone because there there are some people too, in which, like you were saying, they haven't experienced um, a sexual trauma. And at the same time, they haven't been all that attuned to their body either. So exercises like this really help them get into what physically feels pleasurable to me when I'm giving and receiving touch. Mm-hmm. And also it, um, giving and receiving touch, I'll put that in quotes because when something is giving touch, they could also be receiving something while they're giving touch because they like giving touch. So they're getting something out of that too. So there's a reciprocity happening there. there there's a lot of people that that I also have worked with in which when they do go through sensate focus exercises and they could be have been with each other for 10, 15, 20 years and they're like, oh, holy shit, like we haven't touched each other in this way either in a very long time, if all ever, if at all ever, because of how mindful that touch is and because of how um, intentional and it's coming from a place of curiosity. And for a lot of people, maybe they're, they're not engaging in physical touch and physical intimacy in
1: that way with people. Mm. And and this just opens the door for real true sexual authenticity because so many of us have fell into the paradigm of uh, penetration, penetration mm-hmm. intercourse, orgasm, genital focus, porn centric sexual experiences. Yeah. Um, but a practice like this adds in and actually gives space and reverence to sensuality mm-hmm. and, and 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 connection and even a spiritual energetic connection during this with your partner if you if you allow it. Um, it adds another layer to the sexual experience, right? That in itself, just the self-exploration and then communicating with that and then exploring with each other, it can be a foreplay in itself, even before anything mm-hmm. has to do with oral. Uh, and, and it's a beautiful tool that a lot of couples or people who are in partnership or even just with a partner sexually can start integrating. Very, very useful stuff. And over the past years, um, I've been hearing so much about what what sex really is versus what mm. I believed it to be you yeah. know, for so much of my life. And then seeing people like you open the door and give permission for men and women to mm-hmm. understand that sex isn't just a a one-on-one thing that you put on your calendar or after the kids fall asleep. It's actually an experience which has way more depth than we give credit to. And, uh, and yeah. is way more is way more pleasurable than we give credit to. Um, how many yeah, more expansive. Us- yeah, more expansive. So, how many of us and people coming to you are are seeing sex for just the, the the narrow walls and going like, oh, I thought this was only sex. Is that really common?
0: Yeah, it it is it is really common, unfortunately, which also can add anxiety for people when they view sex a certain way, and if they whether their body is not working in a way that they want it to in order to have the sex that they think is the right way to have sex. Um, there can be a lot of shame around it. There can be a lot of anxiety around it because they're like, oh, this isn't working. I'm, I'm quote unquote, I'm failing at this. Mm. When really it's just that that is one way in which people express themselves sexually. If we think like a, a common way for people, if it's a heterosexual couple, let's say it's like penis and vagina sex. And that's oftentimes how, how people define like, oh, that's sex. But then they, it's very, that's a, such a limited way of being able to view it. And, and one thing that you mentioned a few moments ago, when you said um, foreplay, you use that term. And I, I forget if we talked about this before, but I, with my clients, and this is, you know, kind of popular in sex therapy community, is trying to shift that language from foreplay to outer course Mm. Um and one reason why I I really like that is because language is so powerful. And when we think about foreplay that implies that whatever these activities are come before the main act which for some people oftentimes is intercourse. So with that language it just is like oh these things are just foreplay but then we're we're really doing this to build up to this main thing. Right. But when we use shift that language to outer course versus intercourse, it's like, oh, outer course, or outer play, we're doing all these other things. And it's not, there's not a hierarchy around this, that this sex is more important or more valuable than this type of sex. It's like, it's all sex, just manifesting in different ways. So mm-hmm. I like to shift that language for people of, instead of foreplay, that it that it's outer course. And also that the, the foreplay or the outer course, it, it doesn't have to only start right before someone is about to have a sexual experience that can start after your last orgasm so the the anticipation that someone can be building for a sexual experience with with someone or with their partner it doesn't have to be over oh, right before we're about to have any sort of sex like that can be anticipation that's building over a few hours a few days or mm-hmm. a few weeks and how that even expands someone's sexual experience
1: even more mm-hmm. If you even think of no one really thinks about it that way, right? Well yeah. um four player out of course, we would think that is it's within the bedroom walls or wherever yeah. you are. Uh but it but it but it Comes before that, even, which is beautiful to hear because it's like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this process has been starting. I love the idea that there's no hierarchy, right? Because I got a vision of a pyramid falling and then just like a big field with all these different activations. And one of those activations is intercourse, but other activations are just like mutual body touching and breathing together and maybe tantric. It's all within the same like field. There's nothing, you're not leading into anything, which I, I, I can see how it can be a cognitive issue, like cognitive dissonance issue, where they're like, What do you mean? No, this isn't sex. This is just mm-hmm. something else. Because we've been so deeply ingrained, it's in our, in our psyche. It's burned into there, it's imprinted that. No, 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 this we didn't have sex, you know, yeah. because sex has to be intercourse and some sort of orgasm. Mm-hmm. But um, how and liberating? I
0: add, yeah, liberating and I also want to add on to something that you just said that if for a lot of people, if sex has been viewed as penis and vagina sex, how that is also not inclusive of people that don't have those body parts and how that can minimize their sexual experience in which right. they they don't have those body parts to be able to have sexual play. And they're experiencing like a lot more orgasms than, than other people. But then if their their sex gets minimized, it's like, oh, that's not real sex.
1: Elements a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and none of the crap that you don't. This means it's got a lot of salt, which is good, right? There's a big fallacy about salt and no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. It's got none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, none of that BS. Element is formulated to help any electrolyte need. It's perfectly suited for whatever lifestyle of diet that you have. Now, it's super important to replenish your electrolytes. You know this, I talk about this all the time. Whether you're in a sauna or you're working out or you're just moving around day to day, electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including nerve conduction, impulses throughout the body, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element, when you have the perfect amount of electrolytes in your body, is gonna help reduce headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness, and other common issues that are connected to electrolyte deficiency. And when you sweat, the primary electrolyte that's lost is sodium. Athletes can lose up to seven grams of sodium per day. And when it's not replaced, you're gonna start getting muscle cramps and fatigue. Everyone needs to replenish electrolytes, not just athletes. If you're moving, if you're sweating, if you're alive, if you're a human, your body's utilizing electrolytes. You wanna make sure you implement it into your routine. This is something that I use in my water every single day, whether it's eight ounces or 32 or 64 ounces, I'm always putting some Element in there. So right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any other Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors. Get yours at drinkelement.com DRG. The deal is only available through my link, so you must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot DRG. And Element offers no questions asked refunds, totally risk-free. You ain't got nothing to lose. Thank you, Element. So is it fair to say that mutual touching for 45 minutes uh, making out and then calling it a, a night that counts as sex. That can count as sex for someone. Absolutely. That's mind yeah. blowing because there's people listening to go that ain't sex. That is foreplay. Yeah. But but you're saying it's it's all the same. It is it is in a field. It's not a hierarchy. It's just yeah. all these different It activities. is a form of sex. Wow, which is which yeah. is beautiful to hear because I can see how a lot of men with performance issues have to yes. take a deep breath. Yes,
0: I, and that I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's partly what I was mentioning earlier around the anxiety, um, because I see that very often. And if someone is experiencing anxiety and it's manifesting in terms of erection issues, difficulty getting an erection, maintaining an erection, coming more quickly than they would like, some of those as examples. And because partly they're viewing, I need to please my partner with an erect penis, or I need to please my partner by having my penis inside of this person. And if it's solely focused on that, like yeah, that that's probably gonna cause anxiety for a lot of people. If it's just like, oh, this is the way in which that my partner is gonna experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it get, get, it's very limited. And if you think about all the other ways you can experience pleasure with your partner that does not involve a penis or an erect penis or anything that looks like a penis. Just saying that in that example, then it's just like the word you used earlier. It can be very liberating for people like, oh, wow, it doesn't have to look that way. And then that for a lot of people reduces their anxiety because they're just like, oh, I, I can have a lot of sexual play in many other ways. And then it helps reduce their anxiety. And then it actually helps their erection issues. And then they are able to have intercourse if they want to. But usually sometimes they they do want to, but then they also because they've explored other ways to either experience sexual pleasure solo or with a partner, then it's like not as important anymore. But their anxiety has then reduced. So it's
1: just like... The world world needs a reframe. We need a reframe about what sex is. We need a reframe in the definition Webster's. We need everything to understand that sex is expansive. There's many activities. It's inclusive. Yeah, you don't need to be anxious. You can just be, just flow Mm -hmm. through it, right? Whatever you're called to do, as long as you're mutually and, and you create an experience with a partner and you're connecting. I mean, it's like, man, like for me, it's the connection. It's it's mm-hmm. like I don't even need to have intercourse, right? Like yeah, as long as yeah. as long as the lights are beautiful, the music's beautiful, the scents are beautiful. Man, I'm activated already. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that is pleasurable. I I I was talking to my partner and saying like for me, more pleasurable than oral sex is uh, hovering the hand over the body and me energetically feeling it. Like yeah. that that is more pleasurable than being touched. Because mm, I, can, I yeah. can sense the power of a hand. I can sense like my energy starting to yeah. starting to move, starting to vibrate. I can sense like my my bodily functions opening, and I and that's such a beautiful thing. You know, mm, people, are, people mm-hmm. are different. And as a man, that's crazy to say because men, whoa, I love oral sex, man. You know, yeah. like so many men like even prefer that. And and as a man, it, like I, I actually challenge all men viewing and listening to go hey, let me explore. You know what You know what, what? set me off is the is the goop episode that I saw. Oh, um, yeah. And the sexual one where this man, all his life believed that sex had to do with intercourse and genital focused. And then yeah. he was with uh, Jaya, who was the sexual teacher, and he's laying down with his partner. And for the first time ever, he was exposed to just, just anticipation, energetic, yeah. hand over the body, breathing together as a couple. And this man, you saw it, they closed up on it. His chest started uh, spasming. Mm. Like this energy, and she's telling him, "See, your energy's activated and see and feel how it moves. And then it, it expanded and the energy's flowing. He starts tearing out of his eye. And this, oh, it man. was so yeah. beautiful, because I'm like, this man, all of his life, this man was in his 40s, all of his life believed that sex was one thing. And in that moment, I saw his paradigm just expand. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And I felt for that because I had tears in my eyes because I was like, I feel this. I feel this as a man that we need to expand on what sex is and step into it authentically and be like, I deserve, just like my partner deserves, we deserve to mutually meet each other here. And it doesn't have to do with intercourse.
0: Yes. And like you said, yeah, going back to the word you said earlier, liberation. This is so highly and profoundly liberating for people when they have that paradigm shift. And start not only reframing that from themselves, but also their body being aligned with that reframe. Mm-hmm. When when those are aligned,
1: magic. Magic. So um, yeah. where can where can someone learn about more like things that they can do? What can we explore? What is in the playground? Is there books? Is there online resources? Do we make an appointment with you and talk about all these things? <laughs> How, how do we find out more how to integrate these things? Because there's a lot of people viewing and listening go, this is new stuff to me. Mm-hmm. What, can, what can me and my partner talk about tonight? And what can we explore? What can we do? What are some tools?
0: Yeah, yeah. Communication is the biggest thing I would say that is very helpful in a process like this because someone can be thinking a lot of these things and they're like, oh, I want to talk to my partner. I have questions about this. But then if they're not communicating it, if they do have a partner, if they're not communicating with their partner, They're gonna be limited as to what that can look like. So I think to even start off, it is having the the opener of the conversation of hey, I think it's important and it would mean a lot to me if we started talking about sex. And part of that is like let us redefine what sex is for us for, for us. So it's even it's just starting with that because it that would be the meta communication. Can we talk about how to talk about this? and actually when i think it was women specifically there's been a research study done when women were asked open ended question what are the elements that help define how you experience the most sexual pleasure and it was open ended so it wasn't you know there's not like a b c or d multiple choice open ended the number one thing was can we talk about sex it was not the duration of sex. It was not what moves do you know how to do? It was not right. any of that. It was like, can we talk about it? And oftentimes people have difficulty talking about sex. And when I say talking about it, I mean really talking about it, like in a very vulnerable way, because talking about it doesn't necessarily just mean like, you know, that there's kind of surface level talking about sex and then there's really a deep dive into talking about sex that can be very, very vulnerable for people.
1: Mm. So the openness, the willingness for communication could be one of the healthiest things you can do in your relationship is opening a space for, I love you. I care so much about you. Here is a space between you and me that you could talk about anything with sex. If all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you want to experience and explore this, I'm with you. Um, Here's my boundary. But here, yeah. let's, let's, ex- let's explore together because I want you to be feeling free, feeling liberated, feeling seen. If we can have those com- communications about that, because how many people are in a relationship, in a marriage, and afraid to say, hey, uh, I want to explore other people. I want to explore BDSM. I want to explore this just between us, this sexual act between us. Mm-hmm. There's so much fear Um and rightfully, so, because we live in a fearful society as it is. But yeah, um, but how beautiful it feels to just have an open communication about sex with your partner,
0: yeah. and the the freedom that that also offers, and the the paradox of oftentimes people are wanting to experience the the safety and the security of a partnership if they are in a partnership, and then also the novelty and the spontaneity and the adventure. And it's like, can we house that with this person or with these people? If you, if someone has multiple partners, like, can we balance all of that? Mm-hmm. But it part in order to take the risk of saying, this is something I want to try sexually, or this is something that I want to try less of. And I know that you like it. Like there's a risk involved in, in saying those things. In order to take the risk, oftentimes people need to feel safe. So there's like the safe, the the foundation of safety in order to take the risk or the safety or the foundation of trust in order to take the risk. But it's sometimes it's like a what comes first. You you need to take the risk in order to learn to trust someone, but then you also need the trust in order to take the risk. So it's a kind of a balancing act around that.
1: But safety and spontaneous don't have to live in separate boxes anymore. They can be in the same box mm-hmm. and you can be safe with a partner and be spontaneous, just yes. open communication, meeting eye to eye, willingness to explore and just jumping in there. What I want for everyone and, I, and I'm such a firm believer and I've been doing so many shows on sex lately is because I'm such a firm believer that sexual health is one of the most depleted uh, parts of our health in mm-hmm. society, individually, as a whole. We are not looking at that, and sexual health drives so much of our health, especially from the creative aspect. And we have lost our sense of creativity because we lost our sense of sex and sexuality and sexual connection, and really sexual freedom and authenticity. This is what we're doing. We got we got an amazing expert. How do people uh, find you? Where where are they looking? How can they work with you? Where are you located? Yeah. And and all give us all the goods.
0: Yeah. So the best way for people to find me would probably be my website. Um, and that, it's kind of a long website, but hopefully it's in show notes somewhere. Uh, but if someone's listening to this while they're driving or something, it is www.meraki counseling services with an S.com. Meraki spelled M E R A K I counseling services.com. Um, they'll also probably be able to find me if they just Google my name, which is Christine Lozano. C H uh, R I S T E N E L O Z as in zebra A N O Christine Lozano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd probably be the the best way for,
1: for people to find me. And you do and you do telemedicine cuz I was in California and you're all the way in Vermont I believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm here still in Vermont. I work 100% virtually. Right. Most of my clients are in California. I do have some clients that are in different states. So, it just depends on on the state that you're in. Might might have um, be able to to meet with you. It just it just depends. You'd have to reach out for me to see what that can look like. Um, but if you're in in anywhere in California or anywhere in Vermont, then I can absolutely work with you virtually.
1: Fantastic! Everyone, go reach out. Uh, you are uh, wonderful in every single way, bringing things to light that need to be seen. Uh, the the articulation but the, the, the empowerment that needs to be with everyone that you work with, especially from vulnerable parts of you. Um, thank you so much for really giving us such great, great, fantastic information from things like just trauma to then how it's manifesting uh, at an older age and then the things that we can do about it. And then like, you know, uh, amounting to how do we communicate with our partner? How do we feel sexual Mm -hmm. liberation and authenticity? This was such a uh, filling up of the cup when it comes to sexual conversation, sex, sexual health. Thank you so much. um, And I really appreciate your work in this convo.
0: Yes, thank you for having me. And hopefully for anyone and everyone that is listening that you found this helpful. I know a lot of these topics can be hard for people to talk about. There can be a lot of shame in talking about them. So please just start communicating and it can go such a long way for your sexual health.
1: Amen to that. Thank you, Christine. We'll see you later.
0: Thank you.